Anyway, it's good to have all of you here, and if this is your first time or you're a guest with us this morning, any capacity, thank you so much for being with us. We thank you for taking time out of your week and your day, and, and our hope is that you enjoy uh, your experience here at Faith Community Church, and you feel welcome. Most importantly, that you get a sense of the presence and love of God that's in this place, and you'll walk out of here different than when you came in. And we are and currently in, I think, our fourth or fifth week in a series that's entitled Encounters with Jesus, as we've been taking a look at the people that Jesus met while he was here on this earth, looking at who they were, what issues they had, and not just at them, but really focusing on Jesus and how when those people encountered Jesus, as they walked away, they walked away different. Because I'm convinced, and we're convinced here as the staff, and I hope that all of you are, is that when you truly meet the person of Jesus Christ, you'll never be the same. You cannot help but be the same. Something may happen in you that you're not fully aware of yet, and you'll walk away not knowing what happened, but it'll produce life and fruit in you, and uh, I'm excited. We've, we've looked at Nicodemus. We've looked at the woman at the well. We took a, a brief uh, pause last week to kind of talk about what was going on in our city with Ferguson and all of that, and this week we pick it right back up, and we're going to talk about uh, the the para, paralytic, the man that was healed, that was lowered through the roof, who had four friends, they ripped off the roof and put them put him right in front of Jesus. And so that's Mark chapter two, one through twelve. You've had two weeks. We've been giving out a little bit of a, a homework assignment each week, letting you know what we're going to look at and read uh, ahead of time. And so uh, hopefully that you guys have been you've been participating in that. And so if you have your Bibles, your tablets, your phones, whatever the case may be, uh, please go with me to Mark chapter two. 1 through 12. If you don't have any of that, no problem. Just follow with me on the screens behind me. So it says this. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. But first and foremost, we thank you for your son, Jesus, because without him, there is no hope. But in him, we have everything that we need. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for just helping us this morning to see the person of Jesus in every area and situation in our lives. May we walk out of here this morning having seen what we've not seen before, heard what we've not heard before, and understand what we've not understood before. And just help me to speak this message clearly, effectively, and above all else, quickly. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now this story uh, is in the book of Mark, but it also appears in the book of Luke, and it appears in some fashion in the book of Matthew. So it's in three of the four Gospels, which tells us that this story is important. 
And just because the story appears in more than one gospel doesn't necessarily make it more significant or powerful than one that only appears in one of the gospels. But there's just something there that God really wanted us to understand and see. And most importantly, it's, it's an aspect of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And so I chose the book of Mark simply because I like the way that Mark puts it out there. Mark is... Uh, I kind of get the idea of he was really writing to an American mindset because we like it quick, we like it fast, just tell me what happened, and then move on. You know, Mark, he was not a disciple. He didn't spend a lot of time with Jesus. And a lot of people believe that Mark's gospel was, was really Peter dictating to Mark what happened. So Mark wrote it on behalf of Peter. And it makes sense because Peter was very much like that. We've talked about Peter before and so that we probably most identify with him. He said whatever came to his mind. He, whatever he felt, he acted upon. He was just, he was just Peter. And uh, this gospel really reflects that. And so I chose Mark, and I just really liked the way that he wrote it. And what I want to talk about this morning is just some things in this story that as I studied it this week that really jumped out at me. So I don't, I just want to give you a a warning again, I don't have like three principles, I don't have so many main points that you can just take, implement in your life, and then it will radically just change you tomorrow. Because here's the reality, I don't know what's going on in your life, I don't know what issues that you have, but that's okay, I don't need to know, and on some level it's probably good that I don't. Because... I recognize this. I'm not your savior. I'm not the answer to all your problems. I just happen to be blessed to be the pastor of this church and given the opportunity and responsibility to point you to the person that does know you, the person that knows you better than yourself, the person that knows what you need, how you need it, and when you need it, and that's Jesus. Because if, if we can direct our focus away from whoever is on the stage and upward towards the person of Jesus, our lives will be much greater, and this church will be much greater if we can focus on the person of Jesus. And so in this story, what we have is we have Jesus, who's become somewhat of a local celebrity, not that that's what he came to do, but he's been traveling around uh, speaking and healing people. He's coming from Galilee into Capernaum, his home. And uh, his fame has grown to the point because people are attracted, obviously, to what he's saying, but to the healing that is taking place. Everywhere he goes, people are getting healed of physical diseases. They're getting healed of internal stuff. I believe psychological problems. Wherever he goes, this is happening. And people are hungry for that. They're excited about that. They want to see Jesus. They want to hear Jesus. And I think most importantly, they just want to be touched by Jesus. And so he's at this house, which it's probably one of his relatives. And we don't know if this was an impromptu meeting, if this was a meeting that he called. All we know is that people have come, Luke tells us, from every city and every village just to hear Jesus. And it's so packed that you cannot even get inside of the house. He's not doing it out in public. He's in a home and he's teaching. What is he teaching? We just know that he's preaching the word of God. He came to preach the word of God. What did he come to preach? The gospel, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. What did Jesus come to preach? We read that in Luke chapter 4 when it quotes Isaiah 61. For the Lord has, God has anointed me to preach the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captive free. He came to preach the gospel, and that's what he's doing. And it's packed out. Now, there's, there's an interesting uh, groups of people here. We have what we see four men who are carrying a fifth man who is a paraplegic. He has no use of his arms, his legs. We don't know if he can speak. We, he cannot do 
anything probably for himself, and he is completely and utterly dependent on other people to get him from point A to point B, and in this case, especially dependent to get to see Jesus. So we have him and these four men who we don't know if they're his friends, we don't know if they're his relatives, we don't know if they just saw him on the way to get to Jesus, but they're carrying him. They are, and imagine this, they are carrying someone who cannot move, so it's essentially dead weight, He cannot shift his weight on this mat that he's being carried on to kind of equalize what's going on. And these guys, I imagine, they have some crude uh, stretcher that they're carrying him on. It's probably got wooden poles through it, and they've got this old rope that they're carrying, or they're holding it just by the pole. I don't know. But they're doing that, and they're just carrying him to get to Jesus. I've never carried someone on a stretcher. I can only imagine that it's probably not an easy feat. I've carried someone on my back, but never upstairs and onto the roof of a house. So this is not an easy endeavor. And if you've read this story and you're just like, I know, I know, I know, I want you to kind of suspend what you think you know, and let's just allow the scripture to inform us and really see what's going on here. What the, the kind of the, the craziness of the situation so we have these Jesus teaching, and inside the house, we know we have people that are hungry to hear from Jesus, people that are hungry for, to, for Jesus to touch them so that they can be healed. But then there's this other group of people. They're the religious scholars of the day, and they too have come from every surrounding city and village, not so much to receive a message from Jesus, not so much to just hear what he has to say because they're hungry for it, not to be healed, but they've come to do what some people do best, and that's criticize and be judgmental. And in part, they have somewhat of a foot to stand on because they don't know who this guy is. They, all they've heard is this Jesus who's been walking around making some claims, healing people. They don't know if he's legitimate or not, right? I mean, we read this and we automatically believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We know it going into it. They don't. They're just encountering all this. So there's, there's a lot of dynamics going on here. And so we have these, we have these men who have given themselves to be completely selfless in this moment, take this man, try to get in the house. They can't get in because it's so full. They go up onto the roof and understand that houses back then were not like they are today. They, didn't, they don't live or didn't live in gable roofs, you know, houses with gable roofs like we do. There were stairs probably on the outside of the house, and they get up on the roof, which is a flat roof, and then they have no way in, so they come up with the great idea to just tear the roof of the house off. Think about that. Think about if you were hosting somebody in your home, and they were, you know, a preacher, a teacher, an author, whatever the case, and they started to talk, and somebody rips open the roof of your house just to get on the inside. I'm probably sure your first thought would not be, man, the person in my home is really amazing, that someone would come and rip my roof off just to hear them. You know what I mean? This is not common, right? This is not something that you experience every day. And this house is not a house that is owned by these four men. They don't rent this house. They don't live in this house. They've probably never been to this house, but yet they rip the roof off of this house. Not just a small hole to drop the man down through. They rip a big enough hole to fit a stretcher, probably, all the way down that they have to lower down with rope. They destroyed the roof of this house, right? This wasn't just like, oh, no big deal. That's just my roof. You know, this is, this is a big deal, and, and the reality is, it's so incredible to think about why they did that. 
What would prompt them and motivate them to go to a home of which they've never been and they don't own or rent, go up on the roof, tear it open, not really thinking about the consequences, just to get this man in front of Jesus? I believe they're just so convinced of the power, the ability, and the willingness of Jesus to heal their friend. They've got one thing on their mind and one thing only. We've got to get this guy to Jesus. I never met him. I don't know if, we, if they've met him. We don't know any of that, but they've heard about him. They've heard the stories. They've heard about whoever comes to Jesus sick with whatever problem they may have. They walk away whole. They walk away healed. And so they do that. So here we are. Rip the roof off. And they lower the man through. And I guarantee you the moment that the roof ripped off or started to, the attention was probably drawn a little bit away from what Jesus was saying and to what was going on above them. And as the man is coming down before them, I really just like how the writer, you know, talks about this. He just immediately goes to Jesus' reaction. And Jesus looks up. And what Jesus, and what he tells about Jesus is that Jesus sees their faith. Not his faith, not the man on the mat, but their faith. These four men who brought him. He sees their faith, and then he directs his attention to the paralyzed man that's been let down in front of him, and he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, my child is a term of endearment. My child is a term of compassion. My child tells us that when Jesus saw the man, he felt a deep sense of compassion and love for this man. And, but then what comes out of his mouth next is not what anybody in the room expected. What comes out of his mouth did not address to the people there his physical condition. It's not what the men climbed on top of the roof and tore it open for. It's not why this guy came. None of it seems to address the problem that the man has. He said, your sins are forgiven. Now, not might be, not possibly be, but this is a, this is a statement of fact. Jesus is saying, definitely, your sins are forgiven, my child. And the moment that he says that, the peanut gallery of the religious leaders of the day begin to think uh, and begin to process what they just heard. It caught everyone else off guard, I guarantee it. It caught the men up there on guard. I bet as he looked up and saw those men, he may have saw a look of, uh, you know, from complete faith to confusion, maybe some frustration, wondering what's going on. People in the room kind of pause. Did he really just say that? And the religious leaders begin to whisper and talk among themselves and be critical about what's going on. And just kind of a pause here. You know, most of the criticism and judgment that you'll, you'll encounter in life happens in the realm of whispers. Right? Nobody really just comes to you and tells you what they think. There are a few of those people, but the majority of criticism and judgment happens off in a corner with someone else talking about you or talking about an issue. Right? And it just hides in the shadows. And then we hear about a whisper and we have to deal with it. My, my message today is not about criticism, but just I thought that was unique, how they began to whisper about this and think about it. And Jesus, being Jesus, perceives what's going on. He knew before he said what he said that this was probably going to be the reaction of some people in the room. And so in that moment, he diverts his attention away from the men, away from the paralyzed man, and to these religious leaders, and he begins to talk with them. I just want you to think about kind of the tension in the room. There's a hole in the roof. The owner of the home is probably thinking, who's going to pay for that? Um, The people in the room are thinking about the hole. They're thinking about everything that's going on. They're paused. They're waited. The paralyzed man obviously is wondering what's going on. He just came to be healed, and now he's, you know, he's still on the mat. 
And Jesus diverts his attention to a group of people and begins to address them. What I really like about this, and one commentator brought this out, the whole rest of the room is up in arms, but yet Jesus is at peace. He's just calm. He's cool. He's collected. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows why he's doing it, and he's got a plan. You know, there's only one instance really in the Bible of God ever being in a hurry, and that comes from the prodigal son when the father ran to meet his son. Every other time, we always see God. God is never caught off guard. God is never anxious. God is never trying to figure out what he's going to do. He always knows. We have a picture here of perfect peace of Jesus. Turns to the men, and he addresses their thoughts. He says, why do you question this in your hearts? What were they questioning? They, they were upset that he said, your sins are forgiven. They said, only God can forgive sins. Rightfully so. They're, they're 100% correct on that. And they call and they say, they say, it's blasphemy. Now, blasphemy in that day was a huge crime. If you, were, if you were guilty of blasphemy, it carried a sentence of death. So they were accusing Jesus has some pretty crazy things here because Jesus made a inflammatory statement. He's essentially saying, when your sins are forgiven, I am God. I am the Messiah. They hated that. And like I said before, they had some leg to stand on because they don't know this guy. You know, we, we read this saying, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, of course. He can forgive sins. No, for them, I mean, imagine if somebody walked in this room, compla- uh, and not complaining, but promoting the fact that they were God. We would automatically be a little bit skeptical in some way, shape, or form. So they were, they were skeptical. And Jesus begins to address their skepticism because he knows where they're coming from. He understands the mindset there. And he says, why do you think this in your hearts? And, and is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? What's easier? See, if Jesus had just said, your sins are forgiven, and the man remains on the mat and never gets up, never walks away, is not healed, that's an unverifiable statement, right? We believe it because we read it. But they would have no proof. They would have no, nothing to walk away from and said, yes, Jesus really did forgive his sins. See, the rabbis in that day had a saying, and I found this in my study, and I thought it was pretty interesting. They had a saying that went like this. There is no sick man healed of sickness, all sickness, until all his sins have been forgiven. So these religious leaders believed that the reason a person was sick was because of sin in their life, and that they wouldn't truly be healed until their sins were forgiven. Jesus knew that going into it. And see, we also know that that was just a popular understanding of the day, because remember when the disciples asked Jesus, what did this man do, or what did his mother and father do to make this guy blind? Jesus said they didn't do anything. See, sin, sickness, death, I mean, death, sickness, and disease entered the world because of sin. And if you have a physical ailment this morning, I'm not saying that you're sick because of something you did in your life. I'm saying that sin entered the world, or death entered the world and sickness because of sin. So this is not a condemning thing. I just want you to understand the mindset that these people had. So they look at this man, and they say he's paralyzed because he has sin in his life. Case in point, done. Jesus asked him this question, what's easier to do? And then he says this. He says, so I will prove to you, and he's talking directly to the religious leaders, I will prove to you that the Son of Man, a term that he called himself throughout the Gospels, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Now when he tells them this, he's making a statement to them and everyone else in the room. 
He's saying, look, I am not just a witness to or minister of the grace of God, the power that you see before you. I am the author of it. I am grace. I am that power. I am God. I am that I am. He's making a statement to them that he has the authority on earth to do what? Forgive sins. For in the forgiveness of sin is the grace of God truly revealed. He came not just to heal people physically, not just to provide food for people's need. He came to forgive sin, to preach the gospel. For if he had not done what he did on the cross, we would not be here this morning. We would have no hope of a relationship, restoration, reconciliation with God apart from the finished work of Jesus. Jesus was staying true to himself. And then he goes right from that. He goes back to the paralyzed man after he addressed those people. He says, take up your mat, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumps up. says, the man, I love it, jumps up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed. His proof to them was this man's healing. Now, we'll go back to the fact that he first addresses this man and says, your sins are forgiven, and how that was not what anyone expected. See, what, what Jesus understood was that the physical paralysis was just an outward sign of the spiritual paralysis that this man had. And the reality is, is that for those of us in here who, who know Jesus, who, who've come into a relationship with him, who've received him, we are 100% right, forgiven. We are righteous. We're, we're all of that. But we cannot forget that apart from Christ, we're paralyzed. Apart from Christ, we cannot do anything in and of ourselves to be good enough for God, right? There's nothing that you or I could do, no amount of money we could give in an offering plate, no amount of missions trips that we could go on, no amount of feeding the hungry and clothing the naked that could ever turn God's head and say, okay, now you've earned it. We don't earn salvation. We don't earn forgiveness. We receive forgiveness on the basis of the finished work of Jesus, not our own work. We cannot forget that. And Jesus knew that. Jesus didn't just come to deal with surface. He came to deal with the deepest depths of who we are, and that was sin. The debt that we owed but we could not pay, and that he paid and he did not owe. And he addresses that man. Your sins are forgiven. In that moment, that man was truly healed. In that moment, he received something greater than he came for. In that moment, the four friends didn't realize that this man got far more than the reason why they brought him. And we don't know what the religious leaders thought or said after this. We can read later on in the Gospels and understand that that pretty much didn't really change their mind. It just made them angrier. And Jesus was eventually brought to the cross under the guise of or the, the penalty of, of blasphemy. But what I really like about this story is that it seems like it addresses three groups of people, if the band can make their way back. These three groups of people that weren't just present there, but I believe that are still present in the world today. That's the paraly- That's the, the, paral- the paralytic, excuse me. The friends who tore off the roof, I call them the roof rippers. And then it addresses those who are critical 
and judgmental. For, like we talked about a little bit already, the, those who are paralyzed, that is anybody in the world who lives apart from Christ and his finished work. We, we're paralyzed. We said that we, there's nothing that we can do. We cannot get to God ourselves. We need something greater than ourselves, and that's the finished work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It addresses him, and it speaks something specific. It addresses the friends who, who gave of themselves and did whatever it took to get this man, their friend, to the feet of Jesus. And that's what Mark says, right down to in front of Jesus. They did whatever it took to get him in front of Jesus. Because like I said in the beginning, they believed in the power and in the ability and in the willingness of Jesus to heal their friend. And then he addresses those who are critical, confronts their their, their whispers, and brings the criticism and the judgment from the realm of the whisper to the realm of the public, and doesn't just make fun of them and just doesn't do that. He just proves to them that he is God. And that regardless of what they think and regardless of what they believe, he is God, and he's going to do what he came to do. He's not going to be deterred and not going to be put off. I just love what he does in his response to those three groups of people because if we're honest we find ourselves in one of those three groups currently and in life will be have been in each one of those groups well we'll identify with each time to the paralytic he says first your sins are forgiven and then you're healed to the four friends i see your faith and your friends Sins are forgiven, and he's healed. I love that he, to the friend, he saw their faith. Never once speaks of the faith of the man on the mat. I believe the man on the mat had faith because we're saved by grace through faith. I believed, he believed in Jesus, but these four friends, it required them, and he saw their faith. Your friend is forgiven, and he's healed. To those who were critical and judgmental, he simply speaks of who he is. I am the Son of God. I came to forgive sin. I'm going to prove it to you by healing. Every healing miracle that Jesus did, we we have more record of him healing people than saying your sins are forgiven, but with their understanding, every physical miracle that Jesus did in somebody's life is symbolic of forgiveness because he healed them on the basis of who he was, not on the basis of who they were, not what they brought to the table. What did the, what did the para, paralytic bring to the table? He, he brought nothing. And that's what we bring to the table. Even the best of who we are we bring to the table falls incredibly short of what it requires. And Jesus made the difference, right? Healed him. One of the things I, I want to say, and I was impacted as I was studying this message this week, is I said, you know what? I want to be a church that has two groups of people. I want to be a church that has people that are paralyzed spiritually and people that are roof rippers, that are friends, that will go out and that will get the people who need to encounter Jesus. And with whatever structure and means by which they do it, anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus, I'm okay with. And that they will, they will go wherever it 
wherever they need to go, do whatever they need to do to get people to the feet of Jesus. They will not stand in judgment. They will not stand and criticize a person's life or what they're doing or why they're doing what they're doing. They'll just say, I don't know why you're in this position. I don't know why you've made these decisions. And I don't know why you're like this, but I know one who can set you free. I know one that can, that can just completely change you. One that can change you from the inside out. Not only heal your outward stuff, but heal your inward stuff. That's what we need. I want to be a church of people that will just go out and get people. And then why, why be a church uh, that has the, the first group of the, those who are paralyzed? Because that's who we're called to reach, right? Because we're all, apart from Christ, paralyzed. But he gives us the use of our limbs. He gives us the use of the gifts that he put in us. He gives us, he gives us the use of the life that sin attempted to steal from us. And he, we can see people saved, delivered, redeemed, and fulfilled. It takes both. What I do not want to be is, I do not want to be a church that's known for criticism and judgment. I'm not saying that we are. I do not want to be, at the end of the day, a church that is known for what it's against only. A church that's known for what it won't do. A church that's known for who it won't allow through the doors. I want to be known as a church that's about what we're for, right? That we're about Jesus and we're about the gospel. And whomever, whenever, however walks through our doors, we're willing to rip the roof off of something to get them to the feet of Jesus because we believe more in his ability than we do in the power of the sin that's in that person's life. If we don't believe that grace is greater than whatever issue, sin, addiction, disease that we're struggling with, then we don't really believe the gospel. And we have to believe that the Holy Spirit and the power of the message of Jesus Christ is greater than our ability to change somebody, greater than our ability to regulate somebody's behavior, because the gospel is not about behavior regulation. It's about heart transformation, right? We need transformation. We don't need more rules. We don't need more regulations. We need the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ flowing through us that will help us live the life and according that God wants us to live. We can't do it on our own. We can't. We need the power of the gospel. And I, I don't want to be known as a critical, judgmental place. And again, I'm not saying that we are. I want to be known as a church that says, I, whether I know you or I don't know you, I know Jesus and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to his feet so that you could be forgiven and healed. And I love that with Jesus in his brief interaction with the paralytic at the end says, pick up your mat. Well, he says this. Let me just read it. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. I want you to stand up. So he stands up, pick up your mat. The man can now stand and bend over. Use has the use of his arms and can walk out of there. He walked out carrying that which he was lowered down on. And he walked out through the onlookers. And what's amazing, before at the beginning of the story, the house was so packed you couldn't even get in. Now people are moving, parting like the Red Sea to watch this man walk through them and walk home. Where did he live? I don't know. How far did he walk? I have no idea. But I'm sure that wherever he walked that day and from there since, it was a testimony, not just to the physical healing, but to what else that Jesus said. Your sins are forgiven. I thought only God can forgive sin. Right. We just witnessed God in flesh, and why he came. Bow your heads with me this morning. I just want to ask you all a question, and I want to pray for you. We'll have a great day. Is Like I said before, there are three groups of people that this story addresses, and I think we find ourselves in one of those three groups, and I just want to ask you this morning, where do you fall? Where do you identify yourself? And be truthful and be honest. There's no condemnation here. There's no guilt here. If we're honest and we're truthful, then we just, we're right there 
for God to do whatever he longs to do through us. So if you're here this morning and you say, you know what? I find myself in the position of the paralytic. The one who is just, I need Jesus. I've never really had that encounter. I recognize all the stuff that I bring to the table and that Jesus is willing to take it and I cannot live without him and I want him to be my savior and my Lord. And if that's you here this morning, I just simply want you to to shoot up your hand because I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or do anything crazy. Just acknowledge with your hand that, hey, I'm that person. I'm that person. Thank you. Thank you. Secondly, you say, hey, you know what? Uh, I think I'm the friend. I'm good to go. Awesome. Praise God. That's good. I want to keep praying for you. Number three, here's the kicker. If you find yourself and you say, you know what? I, I drifted a little bit more to the critical judgmental side. I've drifted to that position of instead of coming to receive from God healing, uh, his gospel, whatever the case may be, I've come just to find out stuff that's wrong and be critical. And I don't know why. I myself personally can get there if I'm not careful. That's you. I would ask you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Just be honest and shoot up your hand. Thank you for those of you who are honest. I, I want to just say a prayer over you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that he's good. He's so good. And for those individuals that put up their hand and didn't say they wanted to receive Jesus, we just ask you, Father, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to begin to produce that change in them, depositing the faith and to receive the grace that you give us. I thank you, Lord Jesus. You, for, you cleanse us from all of our sin, all of our, our iniquities, and you make us righteous before God. And I thank you that you are our Savior and our Lord. And secondly, Lord, I just pray for anybody that put their hand up or didn't to say that they're just struggling, uh, being a little critical and judgmental. I ask you, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to restore unto us the joy of our salvation, that we may see Jesus again in his fullness and his glory and his greatness, and that we'll never be the same, and that we will be like those four men, and we will do whatever it takes, rip out however many roofs to get people to the position in front of Jesus to hear the life-changing message of the gospel. We pray all these things in his name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.